All right, my guest today on the AK podcast is Rod Cleef. Rod Cleef is a guy who's owned a lot of properties, lost a lot of properties, and rebuilt. He's got a rocky story. I love the rocky story. So you'll learn a lot about him, a lot about what he has to offer. Um, but I do want to prep you. It's it's a lot of mindset, so um, it's important. You know, the mindset is so important. I've talked about it before. A lot of people come in and they they talk about it. So there's different levels of people that listen to this podcast. Some are new, some are experienced, some are advanced. Some need a lot of mindset. Some don't want any of the mindset. So I wanted to make sure I got something for everybody during this episode. So even if mindset's not your thing, there's a lot of sections we put in there and I've put in and interjected with some good key points to, to really focus or bring attention to some of the processes or the ideas or the comments or the teachings that Rod refers to during this podcast to break down on a deeper level for somebody that's new or might have missed it or didn't understand some of the terminology. So you're getting a lot of different things and you're getting great mindset. You're getting real actionable steps that Rod's going to talk about for creating goals visually, for creating goals mentally, for following up, for creating teams, um, for ways to, to test your deals, um, painting pictures, visualization, a lot of those key core things, especially coming from a guy who had it all, lost it all, and really needed to pick himself back up and take over the world again. That is not an easy thing to do. So he gives real life examples of things that he's done that you can do today to start digging yourself out of whatever potential hole you might be in financially, mentally, emotionally, physically, but you're also going to learn about what does LTV mean, what cap rate is, how to stress test your deals, what to look for in markets, what type of demographic things you should be looking at, what's the difference in the asset classes and the different types of properties, as well as the the coding from A to D for different types of markets. What is the risk tolerance for those different things? How do you look at them? Um, we're going to talk about dangers and partnerships, forming teams, uh, you know, how he had everything, the things you need to look at, the ways he lost everything and and why he did and things that you can pay attention to now on the single family home side and on the multifamily side to, to, to know how to protect yourself and try and decide a little bit of more of what you want, where you want to be. Because we go over a bunch of different topics and we talk about a lot of things that worked and a lot of things that didn't work and a lot of things that I had done and won't do anymore or things that he's done or he won't do anymore. And it starts to go back to figuring out what do you want? What do you have? Are you looking for single family? Are you looking for multifamily? Do you have time to put in? Do you have money to put in? Do you have somebody you can talk to that can help you through these deals and help you figure out what questions to ask and stress test and really take calculated but safe steps to growing and creating passive residual income and a nice retirement plan for yourself without jumping in blindly and being irresponsible and taking a beating when the market turns because you did not know how to read the market or you did not know how to read a deal or pick the right partners by asking the right questions. So hopefully you guys will get a lot of this as you listen to it. There's going to be parts that are for you. There's going to be parts that are not for you, or maybe you just love the whole thing, but there's something for everybody and you will come away from this with some golden nuggets from two people who have done this collectively for a very long time and done a lot wrong and done a lot right and learned a lot from those mistakes that we can share with you. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, getting your feedback on this. In the meantime, if you want to get involved in real estate, you want to get into some commercial deals, you want to get into some cash flow properties, you want to get into some fix and flips, you want to buy properties from me, you want to sell properties to me, you want me to help you with your due diligence 
on your multifamily. This is a big thing. What I've been doing lately is I've been selling multifamily properties and I've been selling mobile home parks and I've been assisting with finding the contractors, the property managers, the maintenance teams, helping get the loan together, help structure the docs, help get all the leases, help get all the financials, um, help analyze some of the markets, help give my opinions on things, get insurance quotes together. So there's a lot of value to you. If you would like to get involved and do some deals with me that we can JV and partner up, or I can sell you deals, help you with the deal so you can buy from you. But either way, let's start doing some real estate wherever it is that you're looking to take that first step, whether it's getting in completely new or to scale up from where you are, we can figure it out. We can get you in. Let's get on a call. My phone's been ringing more than ever. And I start out with a long conversation. We go over all the options. I'll give you some things to think about. You come back to me and we will slowly get you to where you need to go and figure out where you fit in, what's your risk tolerance, what's what's the best way, what's the best strategy, what's the best asset class, what's the best size. We can figure all those things out. Let's get it going. Let's make 2021 the year that you finally start buying some properties or increase your cash flow or increase your assets. So go to nicknicknick.com, get our free ebook and go to nicknicknick.com slash links to see all the ways you can connect with me and send me a direct message on Instagram, on Facebook. You can email me through that site or contact me any way you want to get something going and figure out how to start that conversation and figure out what properties I have available right now, how I can get you financed or how we can work forward, uh, work together moving forward. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links. If you're interested in coming on the podcast or you'd like me to be a guest on yours, email podcast at nicknicknick.com as well. So jumping right in, uh, contact me. Let's get you doing some real estate. And thank you for Rod Cleave for coming on. I was on his podcast. It was awesome. Uh, shout out to my good buddy, Alec Gilmore, Transcend Alpha. Check him out. He's been a guest on the podcast. Um, he's a mutual friend and shout out to Michelle Hyde, who we're going to give a hello to as well. Thank you for coming on the A-Game Podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-game. We have a very special guest today on the A-Game Podcast. He has come over at a young age from Holland and become an extremely successful real estate investor. He has owned over 2,000 homes and apartments. He is a lifelong entrepreneur, an author. He has an absolutely amazing Rocky comeback story that you guys are going to hear. He is the host of the wildly successful Lifetime Cash Throw Through Real Estate Investing Podcast, which has over 10 million downloads. He is the founder of the Tiny Hands Foundation, which has benefited more than um, 100,000 community children and families in need, and is now one of the top business and real estate trainers in the entire country. Please welcome to the A-Game Podcast. Thank you for being here, Mr. Rod Cleef. Hey, brother. Good to see you, Nick. Let's have some fun today, my friend. I am very excited to talk to you. I've, uh, I've, been, I've known you for a long time now. I've been a student of yours, and uh, we've met. I've, I've, I've followed you for quite some time in your journey now, so it's really cool to, to be here with you and have you on and have you be so generous with your time. I always like to start out by having 
the guests just give a, a bit of a 30,000 foot view of who you are and where you came from. And I know your story is kind of kind of wild in itself and it tells itself. So um, I'd love for you to just tell the listeners a little bit about um, how you started and where your journey is. And I mean, I think they're just going to, it's, it's, it's got to be a book or a movie one day. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I immigrated this country when I was six years old uh, with my brother, Albert, my mother's Vancha. I uh, was born in the Netherlands, like you said, in Holland, wooden shoes, windmills. And, and we ended up in Denver, Colorado. <coughs> Excuse me. We ended up in Denver, Colorado, where I lived for 30 years. And we grew up pretty poor. You know, in fact, uh, I wore clothes from the Goodwill and the Salvation Army all the way through junior high school, where I could lie about my age at Burger King when I was 14 and get a job flipping burgers um, so I could buy my own clothes. And you know, and we we ate expired food, you drank powdered milk because my mom thought milk was healthy. And, you know, we struggled. Now, luckily, my mom had an incredible work ethic. And so she babysat kids so we'd have enough money to eat. And she was a bit of an entrepreneur with her babysitting money. She not only invested in the stock market, but she bought the house across the street from us when I was about 14 for approximately $30,000. And she rented it out. And then she told me a couple of years later that she'd made $20,000 in her sleep that the value had gone up that much. And I'm like, what? Screw college, mom. I'm not going to do college. I'm getting into real estate. So I went and got my real estate broker's license right when I turned 18, which uh, you could do back then. You could actually become a broker, not just an agent with education. You know, they've gotten smart now and you need some experience before you can run your own office. But I was a broker right when I turned 18 and I was going to be rich selling other people's houses. <laughs> so my first year in real estate, I made about eight grand. My second year, maybe 10 grand. But my third year, I made over $100,000, which back in 1981 was not chump change. And so what happened between year two and year three? What happened was I met a guy that taught me the importance of mindset and psychology and how truly 80 to 90% of your success in anything is just that, your mindset and your psychology. And you know, fast forward to today, I've owned over 2,000 houses. Like you said, I've owned, over, I've owned thousands of apartment units. Um, in 2006, my net worth went up $17 million while I slept. Um, and of course, I thought I was a freaking real estate god. You know, you do the math on that. It's like $8,374 an hour, uh, which of course I did. My head got so big, I could barely fit it through a door. And you know, when that happens, God or the universe, whatever you believe, will give you a nice little smackdown. Well, that was 2008. I lost that 17 million and a lot more. I lost $50 million in 2008. One of the, the things that I think are relevant for today is that there was a, a huge fear when COVID first started that the market was going to tank, the market was going to tank. And I've seen a lot of people over the last 10, 12 years that have been doing really right. well while real estate was doing well. You know, we're, right. we're almost right. back. Right. And a lot right. of them have no idea how to invest or what to look for pre the crash where you and I have. So I learned right. a lot. Of, I had a lot of seminars, like you said, prior right. to that. And I think when people listen to this and they go, how did you lose that stuff? I think that you know, giving a couple of things to look for. Well, no, so let me talk. Let's talk about that right now. Yeah, no, good question. So people ask me that all the time because believe it or not, I was at a 30% loan to value. Okay, so guys, wow. I, owed, I owed 30 cents on the dollar and I still crashed and burned. Here's why. Okay, um, first of all, I had 800 houses that I was renting. And the problem was they were two hours north of me, two hours south of me and everywhere in between along the coast. Okay, very logistically hard to manage. Um, for example, 
if I had a maintenance issue at one of my, and I had several apartment complexes too, if I had a maintenance issue at one of my apartment complexes, everything's the same. The plumbing is the same, the electrical is the same, the HVAC, the appliances, the door locks, everything's the same. So you can stockpile parts and I could send a maintenance guy and he's in and out in an hour, okay? Well, if I had to send someone to one of my 800 houses and these were C-class houses, so it's a lot more maintenance than a normal A and B class asset. And so if I had to send someone to one of my houses, it could be an hour and a half each way. And then they get there. And of course, everything's different. Then they got to go find a Home Depot or a Lowe's. Who knows? That could be an hour round trip. And I don't know about you, Nick, but I know damn well, every time I try to fix something, I end up going to Home Depot more than once because sure as hell, I forgot <laughs> something. So, so my point is, you know, what took an hour at one of my apartment complexes would take all day at one of my 800 houses. And again, because they were C-class houses, that was a lot of that. And then the other thing is there's no state income tax in Florida. So the property taxes are, you know, they're, they're proportionally higher, which impacts what? Cash flow, right? That's the reason my podcast is called Lifetime Cash Flow because I finally got the friggin' memo. I started the podcast because it was the houses that pulled me down in 2008. All right. So something I wanted to do here is really go into some of these topics that, that I think are important that we need to go a little bit deeper on that I can help explain for some of the people that maybe are newer or don't really understand some of the key points that he was talking about and really build out on some of these things that I, I think are really good key pieces and it's, it's important for people to understand. So I always try and make sure I'm, I'm going the extra mile and trying to cater to everybody that's listening to this podcast. And especially lately, I've been getting a lot of phone calls from people that are interested in starting to get in, in, into investing and they're asking me where to start. And then we have a long conversation and I tell them all like, it's, it's going to be more confusing when we get off this call. But then the more we start to talk about this, we'll start to dial it down a little bit and target things and it'll make more sense. So at first it's going to feel a little bit more overwhelming because we're going to cast the big net, but then we're going to narrow it down. So I realize that there's a lot of people that are starting to get interested in pulling the trigger on investments from listening to this podcast so I don't want it to just be high level stuff that that people don't catch if there's somebody like a Rod Cleef on that's used to talking to people that are already in multifamily or, or you know, just, just different levels. So breaking down some of these things, he talked about how he lost his portfolio, which I think is massive because for me, you know, I invested through the crash and I know a lot of people have not, but I think people don't necessarily care that much about the success stories. They care about the failures for, for me anyway, because I, I know that it's important to hear those success stories to know what the possibilities are, but you also need to hear what the risks are realistically to learn from the mistakes that other people made. And that's the benefit to social media and podcasts and interviews and people out there that are doing this that have lost it all and gotten it back and lost it all and gotten back to hear about what did they do wrong? How would they adjust for this? Because now we're at the height of the market again, and things are very, very pricey houses are more expensive almost across the entire country, maybe even the world than they've ever been in history. So we are overdue for a correction. So if you're out there and you're looking to jump in, it's important to understand some of the key things to look for and to weigh out why he had these issues and how you, you, you can now again, very skilled investors, very, I mean, guy had 800 homes. There's plenty of people out there story after story, just like this of people that just got caught with their pants down in 2008 when that crash happened because the market, there was just a lot of factors in there that people weren't paying attention to and things were good, 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 good until they were not. But there was also smart people that learned from the crash before that, that did know to get out, that, that do know the signs to look for. So, you know, one of the things he talked about that I want to highlight is he talked about being in C areas. So if you're not 
familiar with the, what those are. And A class, B class, C class, and D class areas are describing the neighborhoods. And there's a few things we can do. I should probably do a whole podcast just on neighborhoods. But for a quick overview, like your A neighborhoods are the ones that have like, you know, the, the microbreweries and the, you know, athletes and the mod pizzas and the, all like the new chains with the, that, that blow drying hair place, whatever, I forget what it's called, but you know, all, all like the really cool new trendy places. It's where the restaurants are. It's where the nicer houses are. It's where the best schools are. So, you know, it's, it's what it is. It's an A-class neighborhood. And then you have the B-class neighborhoods, which can be a little bit of more like upper middle class, you know, blue collar, but probably doing pretty well. Um, dude, you can literally look these things up and see like what the, some of the classifications are for B areas. So, you know, then you have properties that are different area qualifications too. So C tends to be probably, you know, high rental area. You're not going to see as big a statistic of owners versus renters. Whereas like some of the B and the A areas, people are owning, you know, it's definitely gonna be more expensive to rent. So you might see some section eight there. You might see uh, the quality of the finishes you're doing uh, on the area. There, there's going to be, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be as desirable. It's going to be more of a lower to lower middle income rental type area, public transportation, you know, working class. So then you have D areas, which tend to be what the, the term is. People have gotten offended by it, but war zones, quote unquote, so to speak. So there's high turnover, um, there's crime, there's drugs. So there's a lot of board ups, there's a lot of high vacancies. So the thing about C-class areas is there's money to be made because they tend to be cheaper to get in and they tend to get pretty steady cash flow. However, the lower the class you go into, yes, you can get into them for more money and on paper, it looks like you're spending less per unit and you're getting a better cap rate and you're getting more cash flow, but they also can be high turnover, like he said. So cheaper is not always better. It's very, very important to realize that. And we have a, an episode coming out with Brandon Turner, and we literally talk about people thinking that price equals value. And it's not true. You know, sometimes you look at these deals and you go, oh, I can get a 12 cap. And you're in some of the worst areas of Baltimore or Detroit or like any city really has a good area and a bad area. But you're looking at it going, ah, how could I lose? I could buy this house for $5,000 and I could rent it out for seven fifty dollars a month. Yeah. Good luck getting that person to pay you because every month they're going to be ripping things out, tearing things down. Police are coming like and then the neighbors are going to find out about it. If you do that on a multifamily building, like people are getting shot. Now nobody wants to rent it. Now you're there, there's so many different things that could go wrong. And people get shot in nice buildings, too. But it's just a matter of like how many headaches you're going to have and how many calls you're going to get every day about this. So it starts to become labor intensive that now. You know, every day, every week, you're getting these calls that something's wrong or something needs to be fixed and you're chasing down rent. Now you got to do evictions. And then so it becomes a lot of headaches. And then when you start to look at what you actually made, you start to see that it's not really checking out. So he talks a little bit about the area. So he definitely wanted to touch on that because you do want to start to figure out what's your risk tolerance. And I know people that have made millions of dollars in D, C, B, and A areas. It's just a matter of what are you willing to do? And sometimes when you're starting out, especially if you're doing this remotely and you're not local and you don't know how to put a team together and manage this whole thing because it's all new to you, you might not want to go into a D or a C neighborhood that's going to be, you know, high risk, but potential reward. And there's going to be crime. You're going to get those calls. You know, C area might not be that bad. You're not going to get called for drug dealers and murders all the time, but you are going to have to have a little bit more of a risk tolerance because there is going to be turnover. There is going to be problems. 
but it's a lower entry point. So it's again, a little bit of like, just set the expectation. Some people don't care. Some people love that. I had a conversation with the guy the other day. He gave me a call and he talked about how one of his investors from Seattle just keeps putting millions of dollars in. And this guy's going and managing and fixing up all of his assets in like D and C minus areas. And he's cool. Like, he's like, you know what? I go there, I meet the people. I stay there for a little bit. I get a good thing going. You know, we, we have a referral program. It's like, I have to be there pretty often, but that's, part of the expectation and he doesn't mind it. he likes it it keeps him busy as the maintenance guy the contractor so just be aware that you you want to look at these for me personally i do not want to be in d areas i do not want those headaches anymore i don't have the stomach for it of getting something that's just a complete crap you know property in a crap area i need to have something a little bit better just because i'd rather my cap rate or my cash flow be a little bit maybe less than you would get in some of these areas because when you start to see that you have lower turnover, lower deferred maintenance, lower crime, lower headaches, your quality of life's a little bit better. But again, it's a choice. I did it in all these other areas as well. And then I just had to pick that a little bit. So learning about what those classifications are, not only for the A, B, C, and D areas to figure out how much actual you know, communication and daily interaction, because you're going to have to have a lot of daily interaction as you get closer to a D or a C minus neighborhood. It's not that you can't do it. It's not that you can't make money or anything like that. I just want to set the expectation of it's not going to be the type of property where you just cut a check. And then every month you're getting a check with no calls, no headaches, no problems, no evictions. There's going to be problems, but that's what this business is. It's solving problems. So you just need to start to think about how big a problem am I willing to take out right now, financially or mentally or emotionally, you might not be in the place for that, or you have other people that don't care. That doesn't bother you. That's what you've done all day. You're good with people. You know the area like the back of your hand. You lived in areas like that. You you know how to fix buildings like that, whatever it may be. So just figure out what your comfort level is. There's no wrong answer. It's just a matter of figuring out what you want and, and just having the expectation of knowing what you're getting yourself into. So very, very important to know what risks and rewards come with A, B, C, and D areas. And then there's A, B, C, and D properties, which are going to be, you know, your A properties, you're going to have in multifamily pools, maybe tennis courts, basketball courts, gyms, doormen, um, gated communities, like everything's going to be nice. You're going to have higher finishes. Again, in the C-class areas, you tend to have just rent-ready stuff. So you have to turn them over and turn them over and turn them over. That's kind of what I was talking about when we just did a podcast with Brandon Turner. He started discussing how when he looked at it over 10 years, the ones that quote-unquote were supposed to be making money in the higher labor-intensive, higher turnover, higher deferred maintenance uh, areas, he wound up actually not making as much as some of these ones that he might have paid a little more for. And on paper, it looked like they had less of a return because he didn't have as many evictions and he didn't have as many problems and he didn't have as much work with them they wind up being better investments on paper and making him more money. So sometimes people will buy something that costs a little bit more, has a little bit less of a return because the quality of life on it and the long-term investment on it is going to be pretty solid. And there's local guys that will buy D, buy C, buy B, buy A, you know, and there's craziness on both sides. Some people look at it and go, I would never touch a property in the D area. You know, it's too risky. And then I have other people that go, I would never buy a property in an A area. There's no money to be made, but there's millionaires that are made on both sides. So just need to talk about it. Happy to talk about it with anybody that wants to set up a call. We can go over it on a specific property um, and, and, and learn that process a little bit. But having boots on the ground is so important. So he talked about having these 800 properties all over the place. I don't know if he was self-managing them, but as you start to scale up and start to grow, a lesson you can take from that is maybe find these areas. Like James Krause is a great example that he was like, man, I only buy in Lee Summit. I know Lee Summit really well. I learned the area really well. I have people there that I can trust. So 
I've invested in markets that I didn't know that well when I went in, but I spent a few weeks getting to know that market and more importantly, forming relationships with people that know that market well, and then hiring them to be my maintenance people or my property managers or my realtors or whatever it is that I was looking for over there. Super important to have boots on the ground of people. So I don't have to be in every market physically. I don't have to know everything about every market, but I do have to have people there that I can communicate with and rely on that do. So when these things start to happen, like Rob was talking about, where now you have deferred maintenance, now you have this, something's going wrong here, something's going wrong there, they, they need to do these different things. I'm going to have one management company, and especially if you get to the level where he's talking about 800 properties, you know, you start to get 5, 10, 15 properties in an area, you're making enough money. Maybe you put a guy in salary, you know, and he's the maintenance guy who just does the rounds, you know, and he's got... He's got his truck. He Maybe he's got his own garage. Maybe you have a garage at one of the properties or something like that that you keep materials in, but he's going to know what, what's going on and you can have him kind of making the rounds and checking the properties. If you don't have it that big, you'll have a couple of properties. They're going around weekly, you know, and if you don't have that many, it's it's not going to be that type of thing where it's, it's all day long like he's talking about. But when you have a ton of them, you do want to have probably a few full-time crews that are handling a specific amount of properties and have those conversations for how much can you take on because everybody always wants more business. But when a management company or a maintenance company starts to go, look, we, we only really can do five at a time. And now you're up to properties eight, nine, and 10. And they're going, well, we can do that. Probably not. And now that's going to set you guys up for failure because they're not going to be able to perform and you're going to get mad that they're not performing. They're going to get mad that you're getting mad at them. So it's important again, to set the expectation and know what they can handle and then grow from there. Now, maybe you need a second guy. You need a new crew. Maybe you need to scale up to a totally new company. People grow out of relationships all the time. So again, having boots on the ground, people that know that property, people that are in those properties often, and people that are communicating with you consistently about the conditions of the property and what the things need and developing a relationship that you can trust will help you limit some of these things that went wrong that Rod is talking about by having them running all over town because they're not local to where the property is. They're an hour and forth, back and forth each way. You know, I just, um, I'm selling a property. It's a seven unit. And I had a couple of conversations with some people that sounded like they were really good, but they were an hour and a half away. And I just know that, okay, what if you're going to rent a place? Somebody calls you, they go, hey, I just drove by the place. I'm coming home from work. I saw your for rent sign. Can you show it to me? And they go, yeah, I'll be there in an hour and a half. The person's going to go, I'm not waiting an hour and a half. I was on my way home. Or now that, that manager or whoever, the maintenance guy or the contractor or the realtor, they go there and now the person's not there and now they're pissed. And the next time they get a call and they go, hey, can you show me the property? They're going to start to go, I'm not driving all the way out there. The last time the guy didn't even show up. He left before I got there. So having somebody local, somebody within a certain time frame that they can be there in 10, 15 to 20 minutes, a reasonable time to drive by occasionally to pop in and out. It's kind of around the same area where they are. It's convenient. It's local. Those are all going to be important things to factor into. He also talked about loan to value. So if you don't know what that is, when he talks about your loan to value, it's always a, a safer bet to have a lower loan to value because now you have equity in the property if God forbid something went wrong. Now, there was a massive crash, obviously. Everybody's heard about it you know, 15 years ago, whatever it was. But part of the problem is what I'm seeing some of today is let's say your property is worth like 100 grand, 110 grand. People are buying it, even if you buy it at 30, 40, $50,000. So again, let's say it's a $100,000 property. You bought it at $50,000, but it's worth 100,000. So you got a great discount on it. You're all in 
for 50%. So if you get a loan on that for 50%, that means you're, you're, you're into it for 50% for $50,000 on a $100,000 property. You have a 50% loan to the value. So you're at 50% of what the value is. That's what you have the loan for. So God forbid the market tanks 10, 15, 20, 30, 40%. You still have equity in that property. You're not what it's called upside down where you now owe more than it's worth. So let's say that property now dips and now it's only worth 40,000 because the market took a 60% hit. Your property is now underwater because your loan to value of what it's worth is actually uh, 40%, but you owe 50%. So you're 10% underwater. And if you wanted to sell that house, you'd have to cut a check for $10,000 to get rid of it, plus whatever closing costs and fees and all these things. So it's safer. He, he was at a safe place there. But this is another thing I want to talk about is mismanaged properties and people that bite off more than they can chew and people that made the mistakes that we've all made becomes a goldmine for somebody else. And there has been a lot of opportunities over the years for people who have mismanaged properties, bought properties in places that they didn't understand, put unreliable teams in place and just didn't want the headache anymore. And somebody else comes in and that becomes a great opportunity for us, especially on the multifamily. Self-managed and mismanaged properties are an absolute goldmine. So these are things you want to look at to create opportunities. So don't let that scare you. Let it be lessons like he's talking about seminars to teach you how to, how to, how to make these things work. So uh, another thing I wanted to talk about is the market. So when you're talking about markets, there's there's different asset classes. So, so he, he, you're looking for stabilized cash flow. Let me go right back over that. So let's say when you're looking to pick your markets, Florida happens to be one of those markets. If you look at California, Nevada, uh, Cal, uh, Florida, and um, Arizona, Arizona, California, Florida, Arizona, and Nevada. Yeah, those four. They've statistically been markets that have had massive appreciation. So you buy a property there, you hold it for five, 10 years, it's through the roof. It's hot, 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 just like it was before the market crashed last time. And people were taking properties that they were buying for 40, 50 grand, and then they're worth 150, 200 grand in a few years, just absolutely killing it with appreciation and equity, meaning the property value has now gone up. That's equity and natural appreciation. The, the, the values have just skyrocketed. So now, for doing nothing else after you bought it for $50,000 because the market's been so hot, if you wanted to sell it, it's now worth 200 and you've got equity. You've got $150,000 equity in the house. If it's worth 50, you have a loan on it for 50,000 and it's worth 200. I'm sorry, worth 200, you owe 50 on it. You have $150,000 of equity because the house appreciated. So generally, that's why banks a lot of the time will tell you that they don't want to lend you more than 80% of the loan to value. So if you're buying a house for $100,000 to a bank, it could be very risky to lend you $90,000, $95,000 on a $100,000 value property because now there's no equity. There's no buffer for the bank to turn around if the market starts to tank and you start to miss your payments. If they have to turn around and sell that property because you couldn't pay it anymore and they have to take it back, it's going to be very hard to sell it in a down market when there's no equity or profit to be made. It'd be a break even or potentially losing money. Whereas at least if they have a 20% equity stake in it, it gives them a little bit of a safer play. And then the lower the loan to value, the easier it is for you to get a loan. So the more money you can put down, the safer the loan is for the bank because it's a lower LTV or loan to value. So he talked about 30%. When he's into it for 30% or $30,000 on a $100,000 property, you would think that you're safe, but markets that have a lot of appreciation, like Lee Kearney says, when they're hot, they're on fire, but when they're cold, they're freezing. So they went up 
and they crash hard. And that has cyclically happened now over and over again in the Nevada, California, Florida, and um, Arizona markets that they've gone up very, very high and then they've crashed really, really hard. So you do ride that wave. So another thing you might want to look at is for your, your flips, for the things you want to turn around and maybe sell them as a turnkey or hold them and sell them in six months or a year, those markets might be great because you're getting fast appreciation. But for the long-term hold, you might need to prepare yourself that the market is going to go down, which might be okay because it will come back up. But you need to talk about your investors, uh, talk to your investors or, or figure out like when I do lose this value on paper, what happens if they don't pay? Like, how much can I really take on that if I have debt that the, the the tenants aren't paying? At what point does it become too much for me? So what's what's a safe amount for me to, to buffer that I have these expenses covered if all of these houses go vacant for six months? So again, you might want to take those and, and resell them so you don't get caught in that and then invest for longer term holds in maybe a more stable cash flow market like the Indianas or the Ohio's or a lot of these like Midwest Oklahoma type markets that people are getting good cap rates and good cash flow and, and collecting really good assets and good rentals, but they maybe aren't getting like the same extreme appreciation on the single family side that they are in Arizona, California, Nevada, or Florida, or any of those markets. So again, just things you want. There's people that have made millions of dollars all over the country with all these different types of things. This is just from my experience and the things that I have seen, the things that I think about, I wanted to share. So again, it's just my opinion based on my experience. You can do whatever you want and everybody has different opinions. Now, again, Rod's not the first commercial guy I've had on. We've heard all these different these different takes on, on their business and their lessons learned. And you got guys that come on that say, I'm not touching commercial. I'm only doing single family. And you got commercial guys that come on and go, I'll never touch single family. I'm only doing commercial. And then other people go, on. so everything works for everybody. It's just a matter of figuring out how it works for you and learning from those lessons and attaching to somebody and something that fits what you're looking for. Maybe that's me. Maybe we, you know, you gravitate towards something I'm saying or my personality or, or whatever. Awesome. You know, the same thing that, that Rob was talking about when we go into personalities a little bit later. So when figuring out different markets, and different cash flow, you don't have to worry as much about being upside down because the value is not going to drop that hard and appreciate in, in stable cash flow markets that are not necessarily massive, hot appreciating markets. So again, it's a risk first reward. You know, if there was guarantees, everybody would be doing it. So it's just one of those things you have to kind of look at a little bit. Now, uh, again, 1 p.m. per area, um, putting a guy in salary. I talked a little bit about that, multifamily cash flow, single family. So again, one of the things he's, he's big on, on commercial, obviously, but there's there's definitely people that invest in these markets and, and they go in at a low LTV, which you know I, I still don't know what the numbers were on that exactly, but that's a massive drop. Like to see you're losing 70% even for a break even. When you're in these these markets for single family, if you do get one, like for instance, Georgia. So I bought a, a rental property in Georgia for like 30 grand when the market was down. All right. So on paper, the value went down for a little while. So if I needed to sell it, I wouldn't have really been able to make a lot of money on it, but the cash flow was still coming in. So the property has always been cash flowing. So when the value was down, because I wasn't flipping it, I was holding it, it didn't really matter. I didn't buy it for the value, I bought it for the cash flow. But the market wound up catching back on and Atlanta wound up catching on fire. So it, over the years of that cash flow, that's gotten paid down every month. So my principal and my, and my debt is getting paid off by my tenants. But now the value of the property is up to almost $200,000. 
So I have a ton of equity in it now as well. If I needed to sell it or refinance it, I'm at a low loan to value. I have equity. I have cushion if the market starts to tank and I have cash flow. Now, the beautiful part is that same principle for the tenant paying it down. It could be times 10 if you have a 10 unit, times 20 if you have a 20 unit and getting things in stable areas where you check these boxes and you do your due diligence like we're talking about and getting good management company in there and studying what the rental rates are, what the vacancy rates are, what the occupancy rates are to make sure that you're in an area that you can hold a good cash flowing property, even at some of these things where we're going to talk about for at what percentage does it have to go vacant that you're now losing money. These are all really important things. So the other thing he, he touched on a little bit was flood zones. So when we talk about that, these are other things that you do want to take into consideration. So when you're looking at cash flow, you don't want to have negative cash flow because now, again, let's say you pick this property up and you're in a really nice area, but in this really nice area, the taxes are through the roof or like he, like Rob was talking about, a ton of taxes on there because it's in a flood zone. These might not be places that you want to hold cash flowing properties long-term. Maybe make them turnkeys, sell them, flip them and use that to buy in someplace else. But the places that the expenses are higher are going to make your cash flow lower. And the more you're paying per month on that house, when that tenant moves out, that's now on you. And that's a bigger nut you have to cover. And the more houses you have that have bigger nuts to cover, the more you're going to have to come out of your pocket. And that can now turn into a thing where you go, crap, I was in these flood zones, the market tanked, all these things went wrong. Now I have, in his example, 800 houses that I have negative cash flow. Like there's no way you could pay that back. And that's where you just have to kind of give them back to the bank. So just think about it. Again, there's people that make tons of money investing all over Florida and all these places that you have flood zones and high taxes. Just make sure you are doing your due diligence to figure out what kind of reserves you need to have set in, set aside just in case some of these things happen and somebody moves out and you know what's a normal turnover in that area for the days on market to get that re-rented. Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it two months? Because you're going to want to make sure you have enough money in your what if just in case account to cover that until they get somebody else in there or else you're going to be in big trouble. So that's another reason why sometimes wholesaling or flipping is good to get some cash to set aside to throw in there. Or like he said, when you talk about this on a higher level and you're raising money, but I'm, I'm talking about the beginner investor now. This is not for the person that's already out there. They have syndication, they have partners, they have sponsors, all those things. You, you already know what you're getting yourself into. This is more for beginners or people that don't really know or what he said went a little bit over their head. These are some of the things that we just wanted to talk about. So again, stable market versus cash flow markets, A, B, C, and D properties, A, B, C, and D areas. Loan to value is what you owe versus what it is worth. The lower the loan to value, the safer it is for the for the bank to lend on it and say yes. And the more coverage and cushion you have if the market starts to tank, that you're not what's called upside down or negative on that property. Management companies, maintenance guys, have them local. Everybody needs to be local within driving distance of the property, have good communication, have people you can trust, have boots on the ground there. Um, Self-managed and poorly managed properties are great to buy off other people as long as you now have the resources to not repeat that mistake. So property, and then maybe you want a, a, a maintenance guy that's on salary. That's another thing you can start to look at. Multifamily versus commercial. There's no right or wrong. If you're interested in either of them, there's plenty of opportunities out there. There's people that are killing it and absolutely both we need to start to think about what do you want? What are you looking for? What type of risk tolerance do you have? That's what it's all coming down to. Do you have time? Do you have money? Do you have a, a high risk tolerance? Do you have a low risk tolerance? These are all things that we need to jump on a call and talk about to figure out 
what type of properties, what type of areas, and what type of partnerships we need to put together to get you into your deals that you're looking for now. Um, flood zones, high expense pay areas, you might not want to hold long-term in those because if they go negative, you could have an issue. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Just something to factor in for, you know, what am I looking at? Let me look at the big picture and make a, an educated decision. And stable markets versus appreciation markets. Sometimes you're not getting as much appreciation in the stable markets, but you're also not getting as much of a hit if that market starts to decline. So hopefully that was a, a helpful um, little summary of some of the things that Rob was talking about. Now we're going to jump right back in and uh, and jump into the next section with Rod Cleef. And that's why I started the podcast. In fact, when I started my podcast, I used to say, I'll never sell you anything. I just want to add value because that's truly where I was coming from. I just wanted to add value. Now I'm a liar because I've got <laughs> courses and coaching and all kinds. I never planned to. And it's like when I hit a million downloads, I, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, okay, knucklehead, you probably better do something with this. And so I wrote a book. I gave away 20,000 copies of the book. And then finally I did a course, started doing that. And now, you know, I've got hundreds of students all over the country. In fact, my students just broke 40,000 units owned. And I've only been teaching for three and a half years so i'm really proud of that but um yeah so anyway i think i went off on a side road there and forgot my train of thought but no that was awesome you, you were talking about how which was going to be my next question anyway is why oh did no i didn't finish i didn't finish family. how i lost it all i didn't finish how i lost it all so there was the taxes also i had a lot of properties in wind and flood zones much higher insurance right all which impacts cash flow and that coupled with the logistics of managing that big of a widespread portfolio was just brutal and the logistics just don't make any sense it's much easier to buy a 10 plex than it is to buy 10 houses and so you scale much faster and you know it's, what else is really crazy is i actually went upside down i actually my portfolio fell more than 70 percent so you know that's that's when i threw in the towel i'm like i'm done and i hate it i freaking hate it because uh you know i thought i was set for life but the beautiful thing about a seminar is that it's just that I got it back very, very quickly, you know, because I had, you know, I had my skill sets, right? You know, it's, it's, it's not like I was starting from scratch, right? So, so this is another interesting point I want to dig into is the job growth, the consistency of stuff there. When the market crashed last time, there was so much supply, you know, so now we're in a position where there's not as much supply, and there's a ton of demand. So things have still been strong. But he talks a couple of things about how you looked at all of his all of his tenants were basically contractors, and then construction took a bump, and now they couldn't pay their rent. So now we looked for diversity, which is extremely important. But he also says in the multifamily space, you know, you can't really mess up if you if you ask the right questions. And to me, I I do want to again go back to if you're starting out and you don't know those right questions, you can make a big mistake, like a life changing, never recover type of mistake. If you try and buy a 20, 30, 40, 50 unit building and you have no idea what you don't even know yet, that's a big deal. So again, just make sure that you're responsible. You learn what questions to ask. You align with somebody who's done this already and, and has already made those mistakes and knows what to ask and what to do and what to look for. It, it's so important. You know, you don't have to be rich on Monday you can scale up. You can go at a reasonable pace and start to learn these things, but don't just jump in blindly, especially now. Again, we're talking about COVID. There's a whole new set of rules that people never knew before very recently. So now with, with, you know, we have to look at, you know, what areas are 
being affected by that? What industries are being affected by that? What's the last track record for the last 12 months? What cities, villages, or counties are, are still not letting you evict? And then where's their moratoriums? And where is it a landlord-friendly state versus not a landlord-friendly state? And, and just, you know, are you buying the house with the tenant in there and then trying to do a lease back? And then how do you get them out if they don't pay in, in, in an area where there's moratorium on evictions? It's just different things we have to really take into consideration. And, and I'm not saying this scare anybody. I'm saying it to make you think because there's a solution for all of it. And there, there's literally, this is what this whole business is, is looking at all the problems like any other investment. Here's the pro positives. Here's the negatives. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. Here's some of the things that could go wrong. Do we have enough cash flow, enough equity, enough resources lined up to protect us if things do go south here? And that's just part of what we're looking for. So my takeaway from that is be responsible with what you're doing. If you don't know those questions, don't jump in recklessly and blindly into a, a you know, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand plus, probably million dollar plus investment. Um, because you could, you could lose big. So, um, align with the right people, ask the right questions with people who have been there, people who have done that. You know, I, I can't say that enough. There's nothing else that people, you know, you wouldn't just go start doing surgery, you wouldn't just start go flying a plane. I mean, you might, but what are the odds that you're going to do well with that or, or hurt somebody or hurt yourself? So, just an important piece I definitely wanted to touch on is constantly evolving. So even the questions and stuff that you were looking for there, they're great lessons, but now you have to pile them on and you have to adapt and pivot always to what's happening now, which again, we have COVID. So it's just a whole new ball game of things that we want to pay attention to. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I'm always interested too going through that. And, and I really respect the journey of, of getting knocked down and coming back up. I mean, I, I think that's really what life is about. So I give you a lot of respect for what you did and what you rebuilt and how you're back on top. But what was the reaction to the people in your life after they watched you come up and then come back down when you said, I'm going back in? Were they resisting? Like, don't do that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I went through a divorce. That was a component for sure. Uh, I'm married to the most beautiful woman on the inside and spectacular supermodel, beautiful on the outside. So I, I give I'd give it all up again for her. You know, when things happen to you guys the meaning you place on it is what's most important. So my meaning for my $50 million seminar is I had never met Tiffy if it hadn't happened. So I'd give it all up again for her. So that's the truth of it. I thank God every day for her. So, so again, life is about meaning. Two people can experience the same thing and put entirely different meanings on it. And, uh, and so keep that in mind. Uh, but, but, you know, the people that were around me then, you know, luckily I was in a, I was in a supportive environment and, you know, want to talk about peer group for a minute. You know, I was actually in Tony Robbins platinum partnership in 2008. Now it's like a half a million dollars back then it was like 150 grand, but I was around people that were thriving through all that. Okay. So they're like, Hey, Hey, snap out, snap out of it. Go make shit happen. Stop whining. Go, go make it. You know, I was around people that held me to a higher standard. You know, and I formed my own mastermind since then. I've got the multifamily boardroom mastermind. Actually, we're finally able to do a live event again, April 15th and 16th here in Sarasota. And I've got like 13 billion in assets represented by the members in there. And, you know, and we're finally able to, like I say, to meet again, because I want to be around people that think what I think is hard is easy. So that's how I was able to recover, but being around people that weren't suffering then. I, and I had plenty that were, but I, I focused on being around the people that weren't. And then I reassociated with what I wanted and why I wanted it. And, and that was the most important piece was not getting sucked into the story or focusing on the negative. It's so easy to focus on the negative. 
And I'm going to tell you, I know if you're listening to Nick that you're a leader. And right now, more than ever, the world needs leaders. So be, be very careful what you allow into your brain. There's so much negative crap out there. Don't get me started on the news and CNN and politics and fake news and just all of that. Mm -hmm. It's just, just be careful. Stand guard at your mind. Bring in the good stuff. On my podcast, I do these own your power clips. They're five minutes every week. And they're totally motivational. They're not real estate related. So if, even if you're not interested in real estate, I encourage you to come check those out because I'll juice you once a week. I promise you'll love them. Uh, they're called Own Your Power. And of course, my podcast is Lifetime Cash Flow. And so, you know, even if you don't listen to me, go on YouTube and, and watch motivational videos. Like last night, I watched, I, I, I cry like a freaking little girl, but I watched <laughs> like like stars surprising people or or uh, uh, uh a, a military person coming home to their kids. I just want to feel that emotion, right? I want to feel that emotion. I'm bringing in the good stuff. And I was watching this last, actually last night, uh, what, you know, some beautiful singer at one of these, uh, you know, where they stand up and sing for contestants. I forget the name of them. Now, you know what I'm talking about, where they, where they, where they go up and sing and they, they, they rate them. And some of them are just mind blowingly good. And so yeah. you know, I bring in that good stuff, that motivational stuff, because it's so easy to get sucked into the negative. In fact, as human beings, we connect with the negative. It's craziest thing. Like Nick, if you came up to me and said, Hey Rod, how you doing? I'm like, Oh my God, man, I am fantastic. Life is unbelievable. You take a couple steps back and say, okay, Rod's off his freaking meds. Now, if you came up and said, Hey, Rod, how you doing? I was like, oh, dude, my back is freaking killing me. I pulled something. You put your arm around me and you go, I know, brother, I feel you. We connect that way. It's the craziest thing ever. We don't connect through that positive energy. We connect through negative. So you know, just, be, just be careful of that, guys. Be careful what you allow to bring in. Bring in the good stuff. Stand guard at your mind so that you don't get sucked into the negative. Because whatever you focus on, both positive or negative, is going to grow. You know, they asked Mother Teresa if she was anti-war. She said, no, I'm pro-peace. You know, it's just a play on words, but the hugely different meaning, right? So, you know, I have kids that call me and say, hey, I'm trying to get out of student loan debt. And I'm like, dude, wrong question, wrong statement. Focus on the money so the debt's irrelevant, right? So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox, sorry. <laughs> no, I love that. You know, one of, one of my favorite, there's a UFC fighter, Uriah Faber, who's also a real estate investor. And I read his book and he was talking about how his dad was getting a pin for like 19 or 20 years sober and they called him up and they said, Hey, can you show up and give some speeches and talk about some of the bad times when your dad was drinking? He said, no, I can't, but I could go there for hours and talk about the good times when he wasn't. And I was like, oh, that's the shift right awesome there. Awesome example. Know? What a perfect, awesome freaking example. Love it. Yeah. That's a choice. You know what I mean? I don't think people, people understand that, but yeah. And, and it's not always an easy one. I think everybody struggles with it, but you know, I love what you're saying there. You know, it's talking about some of the things you, you said there, um, I know you said there was some some flood zone stuff, some higher insurance, some different things. What are some of the things you look at now when selecting markets? Oh, sure. Well, well, demographics, for example. You know, most of, and they, I forgot to mention this. Most of my residents were contractors, plumbers, electricians, drywallers, painters, roofers, which fell off a freaking cliff in 2008. So they didn't have work. Okay. So I pay very close attention to demographics. When we look at an asset, like we bought an asset in Cincinnati, 280 doors. And I literally looked where every one of those 280 people worked. And I, and I basically thought, okay, what happens if COVID continues to that job? Okay. And there were Delta workers and they were laid off and all sorts of stuff that I took into account. When I look at a market, I want to see employer diversity. I want to see not a ton, you know, not all retail. I want to see all sorts of different employment options. And I look for recession resistant employment options. Okay. So that's one 
one, a big one. And then I, I you know, obviously the, the geographic component of, of real estate, it's all about jobs. So that's the number one thing we look at when we look at a market. I want to see population growing, income growing, but most importantly, jobs growing. Okay. So that was a big lesson. Um, and, you know, and I really, houses are easy and I, I was a bit lazy and I paid more attention. You know, I could smell if a deal was a good deal. I mean, literally without even, even seeing it, if I knew where it was, I knew if it was a good deal, you know, with multifamily, it's numbers. And I have to confess, I'm not a numbers guy. I might, you know, my, my new partner, Scott, you can lock him in the room with a spreadsheet and throw raw meat in and he's, he's happy as hell. Me, no. Okay. But you have to know the numbers because multifamily is primarily empirical. It's primarily in numbers. If you have the numbers right and you ask all the right questions, it's pretty hard to make a big mistake. So. Yeah. I love that. And how are you guys now stress testing your, your multifamily deals? How we stress test is we want to see that it'll break even 25% vacant day one, economically vacant. And after, and our game plan is we try to refinance with, well, not try, we refinance within three to five years and get our investors all or most of their money back. And then after that refinance, we want to be able to break even at 35% vacant in five years. So those are our two stress tests, our big stress tests. Plus we, we raise extra operating reserves, minimum six months expenses, usually more than that even. So, you know, just uh, in case that, you know, what hits the fan fund. Okay. So if, if you were missing any of that with the stress testing, it's, it's so important. Stress testing meaning when you're looking at your deals, I had said it a few times before, but you have to look at what could go wrong. And when you're looking at what could go wrong, you're stress testing saying, okay, if this happens, what do my numbers look like? If I lose 25% of my, of my tenants, if the market tanks 25%, if the, you know, you're in a Detroit type market where all of the, the jobs are basically from one source, if that goes out, how many of your tenants are from that? What is that going to look like cash flow wise? What happens if interest rates go up when you need to refinance in five years? one point, two points, three points, how much can you afford there? How much can you now, maybe you can't pull out as much money out of your property. property. So now you can't refinance at 70, 75%. So you have to run your numbers based on 60, 65%. Are you still going to be able to cash flow? Are you still going to be able to pull out enough money to pay back your investors? These are all things that are stress testing against what happens when things go wrong. Do I still have a deal? Can we handle that? So um, one of the things we're looking at there that he talked about was, going um, into a property that is cash flowing day one. So that's something, again, when you look at market risk, you look at risk tolerance, some people want to buy properties that are empty. They're going to kick everybody out. It's not bringing anything. There's a lot of money to be made in those types of properties, but there's also a lot of stress. There's a lot of risk. You have to potentially get very different types of financing. You're going to have to hold it for a lot longer and put a lot more money in before you get your first dollar of profit out. So again, this is just his buy box. You have to figure out what your buy box is. I like those two now. I found it just a lot easier when you're sitting there trying to do a value add and turn around some of those buildings if they're already cash flowing the day you buy them. And you know that one of the things he said was it's still cash flowing. So it's not going to cost them anything. It's at a break even point if there's a 25% vacancy. So at 75% of the building already living there, that property will still mean that like, even if, if they have a property that gets cash flowing. So maybe let's say for instance, it's a hundred unit building, a hundred unit building, maybe they could increase the value of that by potentially upgrading 
some of those units. And then when the tenants turn over, they can charge more for the rent because maybe it's a manager that's held that property for, you know, they sell manager for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. They love all the tenants. They never wanted to raise any of the rents. So you know that all those rents are below market rent. So he'll look at that and say, okay, well, right now it's cash flowing. But we bought it based on the value add, meaning if we increase the the rent $100 per unit, look at what this is going to be worth in two years, three years, four years, five years of that. And we can pull that money out, refinance out, and be making a ton of money. But if 25% of our building moves out on the same day, which is that going to happen? Probably not, unless something drastically goes wrong. But if it does, that's how much of a cushion they have, that 25% of that building could move out on the same day and it still won't cost them a dollar out of their own pocket. They won't be making money, but they won't be losing money. And that's a very important thing to know because where is that fine line? If two tenants move out, are you now cutting a check out of your pocket? Now three or four tenants move out. Now you have to pay the rent for four or five people. It just, it doesn't make sense. So you just have to look at it because Again, he talked about overborrowing. These are all just things that, again, I keep saying that you look at your risk tolerance, you figure out what are you willing to take on, and you learn to ask these questions of what could go wrong, how do we put some safety blankets down to make sure that if these things do go wrong, our asset can still withstand that, our investors can still be made whole on that. So the economic vacancy is another term he talked about. So let's say the building's 100% occupied, but 25% of the people are actually not paying rent, not paying rent on time. They're getting discounted rent. They're playing the eviction, no no eviction COVID game. So you have occupancies in there, but they're not paying. So it's an economic vacancy because even though there's a physically a person in there, you're not making the, the money on that unit. I talked about refining, paying back investors. So this is something you have to look at is when somebody's going to lend you money, if this is what you're looking to do. Again, I'm speaking to the people that are new. The people that are already doing this, this is stuff you already know, but let's say you are borrowing money. It's not like a flip where you're going to be paying them back in two, three, four, five, six months. This could be something that's going to take years and years because you you might have to, again, it's a hundred unit building. You're going to have to put a lot of work, a lot of time. And then the longer you hold that asset, now you get to show stability and you can make the banks feel more comfortable as the debt gets paid down, as some of the markets come up, you decrease some of the expenses, you increase the income. And now maybe there's a cap rate crunch or something that you could have sold at an eight cap three, four or five years from now, you could sell it at a five cap or a six cap can make a ton of money doing that, but you're not going to be paying back your investors until then. So he talked about paying back his investors refinancing the money out. So again, maybe it was worth a million. Now it's worth 4 million. You're going to take a loan out at two and a half million. So you, you pull a refinance out at two and a half million. You pay back all the investors, the million that you initially borrowed. You pay them back whatever percentage you told them you were going to give them equity, whatever preferred interest rate you're going to give them. And now that remaining goes back to you tax-free. But he also said that he bases that number on after we refinance, because now if you're doing what's called a cash out refinance, that means that you're borrowing, you're, you're borrowing more. So that means that your payments are going to go up. So you don't want to just now borrow 80, 90, 95%, which again, a lot of banks aren't going to let you, but it's it's been done in the past. So let's say you do that. You might borrow too much that, yeah, maybe you pulled a few hundred grand out of that property, but now maybe it's not really cash flowing anymore or the break even point is a lot lower. So you're you're making this property, 
yes, you're pulling the money out, but you're you're hurting the asset, you're hurting the cash flow, which is really the reason you bought it. And now you might become negative. So that money you pulled out might just be a reserve that's going into paying negative cash flow every month. So it could be an extreme situation, might be a big deal, might not be a big deal, but it's things you just want to start to ask about it again, talk about your risk, risk tolerance, because as you're doing a cash out refinance, your numbers are going to change. What does that number look like? What is your new LTV? Are you over leveraged or are you now hurting your break even point for your cash flow? Just things that you need to think about. And I like what he talked about with the six months expenses, because again, when you start to look at it, okay, I'm pulling out you know, four or 500 grand. My expenses, if this building goes 50% vacant the same day, I still have enough that I can cover six months and I still have you know $300,000 tax-free that went back into my pocket. That's the kind of things you need to look at to figure out where you need to be. Because again, it's just math. There's always a way to figure it out, but you need to know what questions to ask and how to prepare for a best and worst case scenario and stress test your deals. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. I love that. You know, and again, that's why I always like speaking to guys like yourself that have invested before and after because a lot of people got cleaned out. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who have not tasted dirt yet that are not going to know what to do when they taste it. But, you know, you, you and I have connected a little bit on some, you know, we hold ourselves to a higher standard and then you bring in other people to try and take the ride with you. And then you find out sometimes that, you know, when things get hard, people really don't hold themselves to that same standard. And you have some problems every now and then with, you know, partners or responsibilities on stuff. And you've touched a few times on personality types, which I love because I don't think enough people pay attention to that. And you are self-admittedly, hey, I'm not the best or have the most patience for the numbers and the details. I'm right. a visionary type. But I've met some of the other people on your team and I was very impressed because it was very obvious. Okay, this is the numbers guy. This is the leader. This is that. So, um, and, and most and most people in the multifamily business do it in a team. You know, I had these three kids in their twenties on my show. They're probably at a hundred million in assets now. I think they were at seventy or eighty when I interviewed them less than a year ago. All in their twenties, and each one of the there were three of them. All three of them were a partner between an outgoing person and an analytical person. And, and in multifamily, that's the bell of the ball. If you've got somebody that can build the relationships and someone else that can analyze the deals, man, you're off to the races. I'll meet the occasional person that's great at both, but it, it, it's an, it's, it's the exception, but you know, this business is a team sport. And so one of the things we do, for example, in my warrior mentorship program is we align different strengths with each other to, to build these teams. And on, on these 40,000 plus doors of my warriors own, you know, most of them were done between warriors. Okay. And it's just an incredible ecosystem we've created. Um, and I'll mention this, if you have an interest in, in, in applying for that program, we don't take everybody. And I mean that, uh, text crush 
to help you. We want to help you crush it. I know it's a little lame, but text okay. crush to seven, two, three, four, five, and we'll set up a call to see if, you know, we're a fit for you. And if, and of course, if you're a fit for us, but um, yeah. I think that that's great. And I, I, I tell everybody, you could be the best pitcher in baseball, but if, if you don't have a team around you, you're not going to win any games and people get so caught up and I have to do that myself, or I see them make the mistake of me and this person are alike. We'd work well together. No, you want differences in that. What's some advice that you would give for people for if they're looking for partners right now to team up? Yeah, with? Yeah, I actually, I mean, I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you guys, but I actually have a book that I wrote. Hang on. Uh, questions to ask when forming a partnership. If, if you text the word partnership to seven, two, three, four, five, I'll get you this book because, you know, partnerships are easy to get into like a marriage, but they're very hard to get out of. I'm actually getting out of one right now. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's amicable, but it's still, you know, if you ask all those hard questions up front, it prevents the upset later. And these are all the hard questions in that book. So again, that's partnership to seven, two, three, four, five. Uh, but again, that's just one of the many resources you get if you come to my boot camp um, as well. Um, so, yeah, I love that. That's that, that's huge, and that that's a huge resource and a lot of value that people don't realize that they're going to appreciate when they get into those. Oh, I've been oh. in. I've I've you know I've got people in my mastermind that have thousands of doors that are breaking up partnerships. Okay, so you know it happens. It happens in a small partnership and in big ones. I've got two right now, male and a female, that just went through it, and so you know it's no fun. Yeah. I mean, and people always think it's not going to happen to me, but people get married every day. They get divorced every day. So right. that's it. Never plan on it. You just got to be it. realistic. So for people that there, there's different levels of people that listen to this podcast specifically. And a lot of them are starting out looking to make the transition from single family, multifamily, or just right. getting into smaller multifamily properties. Right. For somebody who's starting out looking for some multifamily, what would be some advice you would give to somebody beginning right now? Well, this is self-serving, but get educated, okay? Uh, I mean, bottom line, dabblers get their butts kicked, handed to them. Don't be a dabbler. Get educated. I don't care if it's with me or not, but go out and get educated, number one, because it's, you know, there's more zeros. Um, but, but really, the components are you, you come up with some investment criteria, so, you, so you're not shooting with a shotgun, you're shooting with a rifle. Sorry for the analogy. But then you pick a market. It would teach you how to do that. Then you learn how to evaluate that market. Then you start building relationships with brokers and start finding off-market deals. You learn how to, to, to analyze those deals. But before all that, you, while you're doing all this, you're building a team because you can't do it by yourself. So you want to align with people that are strong where you're weak, because if you're playing to your strengths and someone else is playing to their strengths, first of all, you're doing what you love, but I'm going to tell you success is inevitable. Okay, but if, if you've got two people on a team that are playing to their strengths, they're doing what they love, they're going to inspire people because they're doing what they love. Boom, you're, you're off to the races. And so so that's a that's a big piece. But, you know, if you can figure out how to find deals, that's the hardest thing to do right now through, you know, we teach you every possible thing you can think of in the boot camp from you know, uh, not just broker relationships, but direct to seller marketing and different unique strategies for that that work. You just have to do them. Um, mailing strategies that work. Again, you just have to do them. But, um, you know, success is inevitable. When I, when I started in real estate, I started knocking on doors of people who were in foreclosure. Let me tell you, that was tough. If you're willing to do what other people aren't willing to do, you'll always be a success. And I bought 500 freaking houses that way, okay? Hey, I saw you're having some trouble with your mortgage and I, I, I help people and I meant it. And, I, and so again, doing what people aren't willing to do, you'll be a success. So one of the things that I enjoy talking about, if you'll humor me, uh, Nick, is 
the mindset it took to have 50 million to lose in the first place, but then the mindset it took to get back to the success that I'm enjoy that I'm enjoying today. So I'm happy to drill down on that for a minute if you like. But yeah, I absolutely love that. That was huge. Okay. That's that's one of the biggest things I wanted to. I think it's all such right. an amazing piece. All right. All right. So guys, if you're listening and you have the ability to take some notes, I'd encourage you to do that. Now, if you actually, I'm what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you a high-level overview of this goal setting thing, this workshop I do at the beginning of all my boot camps, okay? And and uh, this is the first thing we do. It takes about an hour, hour and a half. Now, I did this on my Rod Cleef official Facebook page. So if, on January 2nd of this year. So if you want to scroll through my feed to find that, I have a workbook that you can download and, and I guide you through it with music and everything. It's inspiring. So, but But I'll give you the overview right now. Just take five minutes. So what you want to do is you want to pick an hour when you have a lot of energy. So, you know, you want to make sure you're well hydrated. Don't do it right after a meal and sit down and write down everything you could ever possibly want in life. Okay. All the stuff, you know, the houses, houses in other countries, the cars, boats, jet skis, planes, motorcycles, jewelry, whatever it is, all the stuff, write it down. Nothing wrong with stuff. It's motivating. Um, but take the lid off your brain as well. Don't limit yourself. If you, you want a private jet, you want a yacht, you want a private island, whatever it is, write it down because it's not outside the realm of reality. Whatever you decide you want, you will get. And we're going to drill down on that in a minute. But so write everything down you can think of. Now, just the simple act of writing it down triggers something in your brain called your reticular activating system. And what that is, it's this filter, it's completely subconscious in your brain that points you in the direction of what it thinks is important. And best example of this is when you first buy a vehicle, you never really notice them. And then you buy the car or truck and you see them everywhere. Were they there before? Yeah, of course they were. And so that's your reticular activating system. The same thing with your goals. So the more you can associate with your goals, the more your brain is going to be pointed in the direction of things that will help you achieve those goals. And just the way it works, it's just a fact. So um, anyway, so, so take the lid off your brain. Imagine if you write it down, you're going to get it. But also besides all the stuff, I want you to write down how much money you're going to have the bank in say three years, how much money you're going to have bank in say 10 years. You're, you're, you're just in case the stuff hits the fan fund. You're, how much cash flow you're going to have from your investment, say, in three years and then again in 10 years. So put some dollar amounts down. Um, you know, I used to have this sign above my bed that said 100000 a month. This has been 10 years ago. Now it's now it's got an extra zero on there, okay? <laughs> and so, so you know, it's the signs right there right now. My wife hates it, but it's there, million a month. So, so anyway... Um, so once you've, once you've gotten all the stuff written down, write down what you plan to do this lifetime as well. Maybe you want to uh, write a book. Maybe you want to learn a skill. You know, that's the other thing. You, I want you to write down everything you want to learn as well. So all the stuff you want to do, climb mountains, jump out of airplanes. I've done that. Don't, I won't do it again. I don't recommend it. People love it. I didn't. But, uh, you know, whatever's on the bucket list, write it down. All the stuff you want to do. <clears throat> um, also, uh, again, what you want to learn. If you want to learn a skill set, write that down. If you want to learn multifamily, then for God's sakes, come see me. I've got a, I don't know when this will go live, but I've got a boot camp coming up May, around May 20th-ish, somewhere around there. I do these live virtual boot camps. I know you've been to them, Nick, and, and, and I don't sell anything. It's two full days of training in this multifamily business, 18 hours with nothing being sold. And I'll give you guys a code. You can come for 97 bucks if you're interested. Okay. In fact, I'd, let me just give you the text. If you text multifamily to 72345, and then just remember the code Rod Friend is one word, Rod Friend. So text 
multifamily to 72345 and use the code RODFRIEND. You can come for 97 bucks, 18 hours of training, nothing being sold. It's a duh. Okay, seriously, if you have any interest in this business at all. I've never had a complaint. Only complaint is that the breaks are too short because I pack everything in. I do these 15-minute breaks, and I promise you they're harder on me than you listening or watching. But anyway, so write down everything you want to learn, okay? Also, lastly, write down everyone you want to help, okay? Like I bought my parents a house here in Florida when my dad was alive on a canal, bought them a car, took them on cruises. Who do you want to do stuff for? We'll do more for others than we'll ever do for ourselves. And again, the goals are, it's not about the goals. It's about having the fuel to take freaking action with what you want, okay? It's having that fuel. So, you know, write down who you want to help, your children, your family, whatever it is, um, so write that down. And then once you can't think of another thing, and by the way, if you're analytical, please don't stop and analyze your answers. Just keep writing. You can always scratch it out later. You want to keep that momentum and keep your energy up. So you think of every possible thing, big, small, everything. All right. Once you can't think of another thing, it's not real until it's measurable. So you've got to put a time limit on each goal. So I want you to put a number by each goal, a one for how many years it's going to take you to achieve it, a one, a three, a five, even a 10 or a 20. See, it's human nature to overestimate what we can do in a year, but we massively underestimate what we can do in 5, 10, 20 years. I'll give you an example of this. And please know, I'm going to give you some personal examples for me. This is not me bragging, okay? This is me just hoping to inspire you. That's it. So when I was 18, I lived in Denver, but I knew I wanted to live on the beach. And there's no beach in Denver. And so you know, I would visualize the sand and the beach and the waves and the palm trees and all of that. And, you know, 20 years later, I built this $8 million, 10,000 square foot mansion on the beach here in Sarasota. I mean, I owned the beach on one side and it was called a Gulf to Bay. On the backside, I had my boat lift. So I had this slice through this island. It was spectacular, but it was unthinkable when I was 18, but I made it happen. Okay. So again, do not limit yourself when you're writing your goals. There's truly nothing you can't do, be, or have. I mean, for God's sakes, look at Elon Musk. He has now built $3 billion startups. Don't tell me you can't make something happen because you can. Okay. So, all right. Um, so you have now put a time limit on each goal. Now you got to pick your number one goal. Okay. I mean, that goal, when you get it, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. That goal. Now, if there's two or three that are equally exciting, pick one. Now, this is the goal that you know you have arrived when you get this goal, that goal. Okay. Or one of those. All right. So put that on another piece of paper. Um, and what, and then I want you to pick your top three, one-year goals, put those on a separate sheet of paper, leave some room in between them. There's just a couple more steps here. Okay. So you've got your top number one goal and you've got your top three, one-year goals. Now you're ahead of 99.9% .9 of the people on the planet at this point that do a new year's resolution that's forgotten by February, but there's a couple more quick steps here. Okay. Number one is the goal is important. It will juice you. You need it. But what's more important is why that goal is an absolute freaking must to achieve, not a should. Okay, so you need to write down why it has to happen. And here's what's important. You want to use emotionally charged words. Words are very powerful if you use them effectively. Words like beautiful and amazing and incredible. So you want to add those words to your description of your why. So you might say, so, you know, I can show my kids what incredible success looks like. So I can show my wife what it means to live a life of, of success, you know, so that we can have the freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want, bring whoever we want. 
whatever is going to juice you, write it down and use those emotionally charged words. Okay. Be, and this is, again, this is the fuel. This is the fuel to push you through fear, to push you through any limiting beliefs you might have from your childhood. You know, that there's a reason the acronym for belief systems is BS because 99% of them are, but they hold us back. This is the, this is what'll get you out of comfort. Comfort zone's a warm place, but nothing freaking grows there, right? So this is what does that. So write down why it's an absolute must. Now, I want you to take it one little painful step further. You're gonna write down some pain if you don't achieve the goal and make it freaking hurt. So you might put, so I don't feel like a failure. So I don't live a life of regret. So I don't fail my children. So I don't fail my, my wife or husband. Make it freaking hurt. You know, as, as it relates to regret, there was this nurse in Australia, a hospice nurse that took care of patients when they were dying, right? And her name was Bronnie Ware. And she asked him a question, Nick. Um, and that question was, do you have any regrets? And she even wrote a book about it. It's called The Five Regrets of Dying. You want to know what the number one regret was? It was not living the life I could have lived, living someone else's life, not doing what I know I'm capable of. And I say, screw that, guys. Now, this is what prevents that from happening. Okay, this is, this is again, is the fuel to get you up early, to get you to stay up late, to work a Saturday, to do whatever the hell you have to do to make this happen for yourself. Because you might have to be doing it on the side, like a side hustle, like most of my students do. And, and so this is the fuel that makes that happen. Now, once you've got your positive and negative reasons why, the last thing you must do, first of all, you need to make some declarations to people who aren't going to be scared, intimidated, or fearful, or jealous of your goals. You want to declare what you're going to do. Um, and you also need to get pictures. Now, let me give you some examples of this in, in action. So, um, Jim Carrey, I love this example. When Jim Carrey was flat broke, wrote himself a check for $10 million, used to go up by the Hollywood sign, he'd look at it, visualize cashing it, and that's how much money he made for Dumb and Dumber, okay? In fact, he buried that check with his father who believed in his dream. I, um, Google Jim Carrey check, it'll come right up. I'll give you another public example, more recent, Demi Lovato. When she was an unknown 10 years ago, posted on social media, I'm gonna sing the national anthem in the Super Bowl. Don't want, not this last one, but the one before. Go see who's saying it, right? Um, I'll give you some, some personal examples for me. Uh, when I was 18, I figured I needed a four-door car to show other people houses, right? Because that's how I was going to be rich. Well, I bought this four-door Ford Granada piece of you-know-what, bench seat in the front, just a ugliest-can-be car. And, uh, but that's what I figured I had to have. But I worked with a guy who had a couple of Corvettes, and he let me drive one. And that's critical. If there's something you want, go experience it. Okay. Like before COVID in February of last year, because I, I, I took my wife to the Amalfi Coast and I saw all these yachts. That's in the southern part of Italy. And I saw all these yachts. I mean, there were hundreds of yachts. I'm like, babe, we are going to rent or buy a yacht and go around Italy and go to Greece, Croatia, and Spain. And so that's one of my bucket list things. And so I went to, took my wife to Miami for the Miami yacht shows for Valentine's Day last year, right before COVID. And my, Dumbass, I bought, spent 50 grand on a watch, 100 grand on a boat, and 50 grand on jet skis. I wish I had that money back because I think there's going to be incredible opportunity. But anyway, I'll quit, quit bitching. But, but the point is, I went to the yacht show and I BS'd my way onto some of these magnificent yachts. I mean, like 150, 200 foot yachts. I sat in the captain's chair and I visualized owning it. I laid on the bed, visualized owning it. Why? Because it freaking works. Okay. 
<clears throat> so I'm going to give you some more examples from my life up to this point. So, so I got back when I drove that Corvette, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I got a picture of that, of a Corvette out of a magazine. This is before the internet had even been thought of. And I put that picture of a Corvette on the visor of my bone ugly Granada. So every time I sat in my seat, it was right there in my face. Within a year or two, I had a beautiful red Corvette. I'm gonna give you some more examples. Again, please know this is not me bragging because this stuff doesn't even interest me anymore. But I just want to inspire you as to what's possible. And, and by the way, if you're sitting here going, oh, for God's sakes, get to, to some technical stuff, real estate, business development, whatever. Tell, I'm here to tell you what I'm talking about here is more important. Trust me, okay? It, it, it really is 80 to 90% of it. If it, was, if it was just the knowledge, there'd be a bunch of wealthy librarians and college professors out there. It's the freaking do, and it's to keep doing when you get your butt kicked. I don't call them failures. I call them seminars. That was a $50 million seminar a big one, expensive one, but that's what it was. Okay. It's only a failure if you don't get back up or, if you, or you don't get the lesson. Right. So I had the Corvette and this is back when the TV show Magnum PI was out. It was the detective story. Actor's name was uh, Tom Selleck. It's the first time I saw an exotic car. Okay. So it was a Ferrari 308 and I'm like, holy shit, that is amazing. So I got a picture of that actual car out of a magazine, put it on the visor of my Corvette within a year or two out of Maserati looked just like it from the front end. Um, last example, I'm the guy that always wanted a Lamborghini. Okay. I had posters in my bedrooms. It was the Countach back then. The one Michael Tyson bought for him and his wife. I think they were married a week. He had matching one. Mm -hmm. I recall, but, but what's interesting is my son collected exotic, exotic, uh, models of cars and models of exotic cars. And he had a model of the exact same color and style black Lamborghini that I got. And I ultimately wrecked. But the point is, get this stuff because it freaking works. I've got vision boards for the things that matter to me now because they, in fact, let me show you something. You put these on YouTube? Yes. Okay. So this is my planner. Okay. I, I use a paper planner. Yes, I'm a dinosaur, but in the back of this thing are, and I've had this for 20 freaking years. Okay. Now it was a day timer. Now it's Franklin Covey. Luckily the holes lined up, <laughs> but in the back of this thing, I've got pictures that have been here for 20 years. They're in plastic. They're dog-eared. Now the first pictures are my gratitude pictures because everything starts from a place of gratitude. So these, these are pictures of my kids when they were young, right? Okay. Then I've got pictures of the stuff that I wanted. So, so this top picture was before I built my house on the beach I was telling you about, and it looked just like this. I had 10 foot high glass. It was all bet, butt together like that. It was 80 feet of glass, 10 foot high. I had travertine floors just like that. Now, what's crazy is I lost that house and all the craziness, okay? Now I got, I've got a compound now. I live in, in same, Sarasota still. I've got six buildings. I've got a big main house. I've got a two-bedroom guest house. My daughter's actually in it right now. My, I've got a media building with a video studio that we're almost done creating. It's awesome. I've got a theater room, a big exercise facility. I mean, it can go on and on. It's just spectacular. And because God's got a sense of humor, I can see my old house across the bay, the one that I lost. It's literally right out my backyard. It's hilarious. But what's crazy is you see these wall pictures. You see the white walls in both those pictures, the, the white concrete wall there. You see that, Nick? Yeah. Okay. This is my backyard. Look behind me. Is that freaking nuts? There's the same freaking wall that's in these pictures from 20 years ago. So nice. guys, this stuff works. Just trust me. You know, and then I've got pictures of watches. I've got a few hundred thousand dollars of the watches, just stupid shit. The Lamborghini before I ever got it. There's a picture of, of it. There's the Rolls Royce, the Bentley, all these things I've got pictures for that I got. They work guys. So again, if you're going off oh, for God's sakes, get on with the technical stuff. I'm just here to tell you this is more important. This is how you get, this is how I had 50 million to lose. 
and how I got it back. Okay. And, and I mean, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. It was no fun losing it. It was a, it was a painful, expensive seminar, but reassociating with my goals and reassociating with what I wanted is how I got it back. So I'll get off my soapbox now, Nick. <laughs> no, I think that that's amazing. And I, I have that conversation a lot, especially on this podcast, when we go back to that, because, you know, from, from running my own seminars and things like that, people roll their eyes a lot when they're like, oh, he's talking this mindset crap again. Just give me the checklist. I just want the checklist. And we always go back to like, you can download a checklist on Google. Everybody has that. If that's the case, why is everybody not doing something with it? And these are the things that's important. And it's funny because the most successful people I talk to, the Rod Cleefs of every industry, when you ask them about like, hey, what's really the key? They all go back to the self-talk and the mindset. And I feel like the only people that don't appreciate that are the people that, the people that don't get it are the people that need it more than anybody. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. And, it, and it's usually the, the, the ones that are super analytical and precise. And, and, and those happen to be the, my most successful students. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's one of, the, <coughs> excuse me, one of the precursors for success in the multifamily business. Um, <coughs> sorry, okay, had something in my throat. So um, one other thing I want to mention since we're on, on goals is you know, I built that house on the beach. Okay. It took me 20 freaking years to get it. Okay. Two months after I moved in two months, took me 20 years to get two months after I moved in, I'm floating in the pool at night. My family's inside sleeping. I mean, this, I just, I want to describe the house just a little bit. So your listeners get a feel for it. Okay. There was a, I had a giant waterfall 10 feet wide that went into the pool from the second floor balcony. Okay. The pool was in magazines. I had tens of thousands of dollars worth of trees that, that were built to bit that bent and then went out over the pool. I mean, it's magnificent. I had, you know, uh, the pool changed colors at night. It had fiber optic lighting. It was uh, the biggest pool job the pool contractor had ever done and so on and so forth. But inside the house, there was a giant spiral staircase that went up through the middle. I had a wine cellar and a elevator and all that stuff. But around that staircase on the second floor, I had a custom aquarium made. The aquarium cost me almost 200 grand. So that gives you an idea of the house, okay? So two months after I I moved in, I'm floating in the pool at night, looking up at this testament to my ego, which is truly what it was. It was to prove the world I was good enough. You know, I talk about this in my boot camps. You know, I had these limiting beliefs. I thought I wasn't good enough. And so I built this thing to prove the world I was good enough. So two months, I'm looking up at this thing and I got depressed. And I'm like, what the hell? I mean, I was really bummed. This is not my nature, you know, to lay on a couch and talk about what was me. I mean, I was really like, what the hell's going on here? And when I look back on it, there were several things happening. And that's one I want to share with you because they tie into goals. Number one was never achieve a big goal without having other goals lined up behind it. Like the good book says, without a vision that people perish. I didn't have a vision for my future. I had no idea what I was going to do next. So that was number one. Number two is it's never about the goals. You've got to have the goals. You need them. But one, you know, it's like the happiest days of a boat owner's life, the, the day they buy it, the day they sell it, right? It's never about the goals. It's about who you become on your path to the goals. And the happiness doesn't come from the goals. It comes from progress and growth, continual progress and growth. You need the goals, but, but that's not what's going to make you happy. And so that was the second thing. But the third more important thing was I'd been totally focused on Rod. Rod, 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 show the world I'm good enough. Show the world I matter. So luckily I went out and bought some books, you know, cause I was going to get back. I mean, no matter what, I'm not going to sit here and wallow. I'm going to, you know, bring it back. And so I got, you know, Dale Carnegie, Zig Ziglar at the time. And Tony Robbins was one of them. And I started reading Tony's book and I really liked what I saw. 
And so I went and saw him live. This is 20 years ago. And I was like, wow, this is, and then I, I mean, love his stuff. So I followed him around the planet for 20 years. But, but, but back then I saw, you know, that he fed families for the holidays and he's done millions. I'm like, you know, what a concept, do something for someone else. So I went back and I flew to Denver because for Thanksgiving with my brother, Ed, and I'm like, Ed, we're going to feed five families. So we called his church and, and we said, who really needs help? I mean, he's really hurting. We got five families and the third one changed my life, you know, walked up to this row house which was like this like four units in a building but they weren't even one bedrooms they were shitty one bedrooms you walk through the living room to get to the kitchen well i'm sorry walk through the living room through the bedroom to get to the kitchen which has the bathroom off of it so it's not even really a one bedroom this woman was there with five kids she comes out <clears throat> she sees the we bought big box of food we got frozen turkey we got toys for the kids i mean it was just boxes of stuff she comes out she sees that on a porch and she starts crying her kids come out, the older ones start crying. I start crying and I'm freaking hooked. And Nick, I'm blessed to say we have now fed over 100,000 children here in Sarasota and Bradenton and Tampa for the holidays. And we do it for Christmas more now. But I've also done tens of thousands of backpacks filled with school supplies for kids here locally. It's just astounding to me that we live in the greatest country on earth and kids don't have freaking school supplies. Um, I've done tens of thousands of teddy bears to local police departments for their officers to keep in their cars if they encounter a child that needs to be comforted. And it's been my greatest gift in life. See, there's a difference between being successful and being fulfilled. Tony Robbins calls it the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment. And I was successful, but I wasn't happy and I was unfulfilled. You know, so many of us believe we have to achieve to be happy. I'm going to tell you that it's much better to happily achieve. And how do you happily achieve? By giving back in some fashion. So if you're listening to Nick, you may have blood dripping from your teeth. You want this financial success so bad. Maybe the Lamborghini conversation got you juiced. Whatever it is, I'm here to tell you. And you might be saying, yeah, I'll give back when I have some money. Wrong, wrong answer. You need to give back right now. You need to find something you're passionate about. Doesn't matter what it is. It can be the elderly. It can be children. It can be the environment. It can be pol political, even something you you want to add value to. It could be the you know pets, whatever, whatever juices you. Go do something to give back to that right now. Why? Because you'll be fulfilled. Number one, and I'm here to tell you the success will come faster. Not only will you be happily achieving, it'll come faster. Now, you don't do it for that reason, but that's the way the universe works. You, what you give, you get back tenfold, a hundredfold, and that's how it works. So, you know, just make sure that you start doing it immediately. Don't wait, and you'll be happily achieving. You know, I, I like you said, my podcast broke 10 million downloads, just blows me away. I, every day, it blows me away, and, uh, and I'll tell you that even on my show, I have mega millionaires come on. I've had billionaires come on and I can tell if they're like I was back then. You know, some of them hide it quite well, but I can tell if they're totally self-centered and I'm like, man, I feel sorry for you, man. I'm bad because I was there and I, and I feel it. Anyway, so I, my, my foundation, let me put a plug in. I pay all the operational expenses. Everything goes to food or backpack, school supplies. It's tinyhandsfoundation.org tinyhandsfoundation.org. I, I paid for everything up through 2008 when my world collapsed. In fact, that year it cost me 50,000 to feed 1500 families out of my pocket. But since then, I found I, you know, I started taking donations. And, uh, and again, I still put a lot of money into and cover all the operational costs. But uh, if if you'd like to donate, I'm certainly grateful tinyhandsfoundation.org. And again, my boot camp, 
If you text multifamily, if you're interested in real estate at all, if you text multifamily to um, 72345 and then remember the code RODFRIEND, you come spend two days with me in May. I don't sell anything. It's 18 freaking hours drinking through a fire hose. I'm going to tell you that. And I mean, just I'll show you for those of you watching, you get all of these resources. There's like all these books. You also, you know, as, as, as uh, I just finished this 250 page comprehensive guide to due diligence that you'll get. And uh, the manual for the boot camp itself is like 200 plus pages here. So, I mean, it's, it's not some fluffy sales pitch. Okay. It is freaking pure content if you're interested. Um, and if you, uh, <clears throat> If you go to my website, Real Estate with Rod, there's tons of free resources there, video, articles um, that I've curated or written, and books and all sorts of stuff, though. So Real Estate with Rod is a direct link to rodcleef.com, which nobody can spell. So Real Estate with Rod, <laughs> use that. But uh, anyway, there we go. That's amazing, man. Yeah, obviously, I'll put all the links for all that stuff in the in the show notes. So if people Thanks. want to click, if they have trouble with the spelling, I'll have everything in there for the foundation and for the boot camp as well. Thank you. I like to call this the victory lab, where we just kind of wrap everything up in a nice bow with some uh, some finalizing questions. So you've been very sure. gracious with your time. I appreciate it. Um, sure. First question is, what's your dream guest for your podcast that you have not yet interviewed? Oh, good question. Oh, gosh. I'd love to get Sam Zell. You know, I heard him on Tim Ferriss' show. My God, what a rock star he is. Or someone of that level, maybe the CEO of Blackstone. I forgot his name, but someone like that. Next question. Awesome. Um, advice for somebody who's maybe in a situation with this last year in COVID that they've lost it all and have to start over like you did at one point. Yeah, I had 900 people virtually. We've now built a video studio. So I had to innovate. I had to pivot. And you may need to do that if you're having a tough time right now. So get creative, pull yourself out of the fear, get associated with your goals and, and say, what else could I do? How else could I do this? Ask a better question and you'll get a better answer. So you want to ask good questions like that. Not why is this happening to me? It's how can I make it better? How can I, how can I kick ass? How can I, how can I do what I want to do in 10 years and six months? Just ask better questions. Awesome. I love that. Knowing what you know now in life and business, what advice would you give a young Rod Cleef? Uh, it's the same question I ask every one of my podcast guests for this very reason that you're asking it, which is go bigger, faster, because it's easier. And it's, and, and I want all my guests on my show to hear it ad nauseum. So they get it. Everybody seems to start with a house and then a duplex, then a 10 unit, then a hundred. You don't have to start that way. You can go big faster. So that's my, my advice there. Awesome. Last couple of questions here, wrapping up. Can we do a quick hello to Michelle Height and Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, Alec Gilmore, Alec Baldwin too. We love him. <laughs> yeah, Michelle Hyde, what a sweetheart. I love her. I haven't talked to her in forever. And Alec Gilmore, for sure. Absolutely. He's one of my favorite people. He works with me. Yeah, great, great, great people. I've known her a long yeah. time. She was an inspiration. She's always said great things. Oh, she's about brilliant, her. too, by the way. Michelle, you are brilliant. And I love you and I miss you. Yeah, big fan of hers. Okay, lastly, how do people find you? How do people work with you? Tell yeah, yeah. How to again, again, if you're interested in learning the business, go to uh, go to a text multifamily to 72345. And remember the code Rod friend. So you can come for 97 bucks, not selling anything. Go to real estate with Rod. Um, and that's my website and there's tons of resources there, man. Everything you could possibly need is there, uh, books, videos, dozens and dozens of them. And, and, um, you know, you get a ton of value there. So yeah. outstanding, man. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. I love talking to you. I got a lot of value Likewise, from it. I really Thank appreciate you. it. And, um, any final thoughts before we let you go enjoy your week? No, just go make it happen. If you're listening, just go do it. Okay. 
Don't be in the same place you are a year from now unless you freaking love where you are right now. We do not want regrets, guys. Remember that Bronnie Ware story about hospice patients. So go make it happen now. Take Wise care, words bro. from a man who certainly brings his A game, everything he does. Thank you very Thanks, much buddy. for coming on, Rod Cleef. Have a great day. You too, buddy. See you. All right. So I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Now, again, just re-going re over this. Um, we touched on a lot of different things, such a mindset. We touched on tactical things. We went over a bunch of different stuff, but the biggest thing is you need to make sure you know what questions to ask. You need to make sure that you understand what your risk tolerance is. You need to make sure that you're not just jumping in because you absolutely can make mistakes if you don't have the right people and you don't understand what the risks are and know how to ask the right questions. We can help you with that. You can help yourself with that. We can figure it out. There's education everywhere, but you have to first and foremost have the mindset that you can do this and start to make those, those moves and start to figure out how big a step you want to take, how big a risk you want to take, and then figure out how to open up the conversations, which is, again, something I can help you figure out. So nicknicknick.com, definitely contact me figure out how to get this going, figure out how to get things together. Um, we have some other great guests coming up. Rod is a guy who's been around for a long time. Um, I've learned a lot from him today. Uh, he's he's inspired tons of people. And uh, hopefully you guys got a lot out of it. It was awesome of him to come on. And uh, thanks again for... It was awesome Rod to come on. He's been doing this a long time. He's a big player in the multifamily space. Um, he's obviously a big mindset guy. He's carried himself out of a hole that he dug himself in and got right back on top of the mountains. He's got a true Rocky story and I appreciate him sharing with us today. And I appreciate you guys listening, sticking it out. Um, definitely contact me. Let's get you guys doing some deals. Please leave a review. If you like this episode, go on iTunes, just Google the A-Game podcast, iTunes, and then go click open up podcast, leave a review, give us five stars, a good review. And again, if you want to contact me, nicknicknick.com slash links for any suggestions on guests, if you'd like me to be on your podcast, or if you're looking to get started in some real estate or need some uh, references for some great places to go do some jujitsu, let's get it going. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. I appreciate you guys listening to the A-Game Podcast.